the title the Lord's given me for uh, my testimony is Finally Crucified with Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've, you've won my heart. You've won my heart, Lord. Yes. It's taken incredible things, Lord, to grab me, Lord. But you have won my heart. So, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to just testify, Lord, of your might and your power and your glory. So, Lord, I just step back and ask, Lord, that you would step up and speak your word through my lips, Lord. Lord, I trust in your mighty power. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. So I took my watch out because I'm just, I can get wordy and I don't want to do that and I want to be conscious of what I have to go through. So this is kind of, I've spent a number of weeks praying over this and in prayer and just going through the word and just meditating and um, the Lord's just kind of laid out uh, a map if you will of my life so so what I'm going to attempt to do with the well not I'm, I'm not going to attempt I'm going to do it by the Holy Spirit's power it's just to lay out for you an overview of my life with the markers that are really critical in my life so I won't how do you recount such a long period of time? Uh, I'm not going to hit on, obviously, everything, but the key markers, I want to make sure uh, that I'm faithful to Jesus in terms of what he's asked me to speak. So, so when I was a little boy, one of the real joys in my heart was to go to a, a prayer meeting that was held at my grandmother's House. She had a little outbuilding. It was about the size of this room. And uh, we would have probably 35 to 40 people there every Friday night. And the Holy Spirit would come in power. Absolute power. To save and to heal and to deliver people. It was absolutely incredible time in my life. And one night after the meeting, after everyone would leave, my grandmother and I, we would pray. We would kind of do a review of the meeting. And I'm this little boy. I prayed with her. And I said, Mama, I said, I said, is there a way that I can meet Jesus too? She said, well, go in, go in your bedroom and get down on your knees and Start crying out to Jesus, and when I get ready for bed, I'll, I'll come. So I did that. The, the Lord met me. The Lord absolutely met me. I was this strange little boy. Strange in the sense that I didn't know anyone else quite like me. Four years old, on fire for Jesus. 
I was the only child at the prayer meetings. Uh, and the Lord just moved in great power in my heart and my life. I saw the power of Jesus. So what I want you to focus on as I just kind of recount some of the details of my life is it's the power of Jesus. There's no power in Ed. There's no power in all the zeal that I have, all the energy that God's given me. Apart from Jesus, there's no power in that at all. So think about the faithfulness of Jesus over almost, in a couple of weeks, it'll be 50 years. 50 years, God called me. So even though I couldn't read, the Lord taught me just from hearing the word, just from being in prayer. So I just want to mention a few of the things, even as a young boy, that I understood that in order to be a Christian, I had to fully give everything into the hand of Jesus. If you're going to be a Christian, it had to be a full surrender. It wasn't some short, quick prayer. It was a giving of my life into his life. Now, the devil came and tried to steal that from me so many times. But the devil was not able to steal that from my heart. I had to give everything. If I'm going to be a Christian, I have to give everything to Jesus. I always knew that. I always knew that. There also was this intense battle to be fought against Satan. Intense battle. I'll just recount one little story. I, every summer, right around my grandmother's birthday, her backyard would flood. And uh, sometimes it was right next to a creek. The creek would overflow. And Satan would come every year and said, You know, Ruthie, her name was Ruth. Ruth, you're done. This year you're going to be flooded out. And I can remember standing with my grandmother on that back porch and her crying out to God. And she put a marker. She put a marker. And she said, Satan, she said, in the name of Jesus, you, you will not flood this house. This house belongs to you. And she said, will you stand with me, Eddie boy? She called me Eddie boy. Will you stand with me, Eddie boy? And I said, yes, Mamma, I will. And so I prayed and I cried out. She didn't have a phone, so we didn't have any way to, to get help. She said, we're not leaving the house. I said, yes, yes Mamma. I said, I agree with you. We're not leaving the house. We're going to trust Jesus. The house was not flooded ever, even though her backyard was, I mean, it was up. Close. It was up close. Water everywhere. So I knew that there was this battle that had to be fought. I knew that Jesus loved me. So how can you serve a Jesus you think hates you? You have to know. You have to have an assurance in your heart and in your spirit that God loves you. 
you don't have that, how can you surrender your life to him? And the other major thing is that there was absolute joy in serving Jesus. I had an incredible amount of joy in my life. Those were the most precious moments of my childhood. Now, the thing that I wasn't really prepared for as a child is once we come to Christ, that Gethsemane stone is lowered on our life. That Gethsemane stone was lowered on my life. I was absolutely crushed. I was mentally a little bit slow. They thought I was mentally retarded. Uh, When I started school, I I couldn't really speak. Um, I was physically just awkward, clumsy. And, you know, as I look back on those days, I think it was too many antibiotics and probably the vaccines that really undermined my health. And all I could do was cry out to Jesus for years. That's all I that's all I had. That's all I had. And then there was such a release in my spirit when I finally got to that Friday night. Now if I hadn't obeyed my parents, if I'd gotten in trouble at school, the Lord disciplined me, wouldn't let me go. So then I'd be broken even more. <laughs> That's all I could do is cry out to Jesus. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't communicate in an intelligible sentence. My mind was just too, it was kind of like ADD or I don't know if it was that. Or I, couldn't, I couldn't put my words together right. Finally, I started school. And um, I could read every direction except left to right. I couldn't read the words. So I would sit at my desk. I would just cry out to the Lord during recess. I, I didn't go outside and play. And sometimes I f- would forget that I was not just praying in my spirit. I'd be praying out loud. So, of course, the other kids thought I'm crazy. So this great crushing continued really until the end of my end of third grade. And I slowly saw that the Lord had begun to heal me. I was actually not in the special ed. Uh, I could actually read things. I could actually understand. But instead of reading something maybe, you know, one or two times like most kids would, I might have to read it nine or ten times to get the understanding. Cause I, and even yet, I still, uh, even though I work with a lot of smart people, I have to read things like, I read it, I read it, I read it, I read it. I have to, you know, uh, sometimes I'm slow of heart and slow of mind, and I have to just keep reading it until I understand so the Lord had brought this great victory, victory to me, and it was so clear. I went to summer school at the end of third grade, and it was clear that the Lord had finally healed me. 
so the Lord had given me such a great victory. Now, here's the problem when you get a victory, especially if you're new and you don't understand the ways of God. Sometimes we can take that victory, and that victory ends up in defeat. We can win the battle and lose the war. Let me explain what I mean by that. So this intercession for just me having a right mind finally came to pass. So Satan filled my heart with pride. So I was this proud little boy who could make stuff happen. So my heart was filled with pride. Now, I couldn't really tell anybody that. I don't think I ever did. But I was. I said, you know, I can do anything. You know, if I put my mind to it, I can do it. And so I took what Jesus had done in my heart and perverted that. And you see it in the scripture, and I'll just give you a few references. You can jot these down and and look at them later. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. It's a warning from Moses. Uh, Then you can look at the life of Saul, the life of Gideon. So God brought them victory early on. They took that victory as their own and not the victory of Jesus. They perverted that. And so my heart, which was on fire for Jesus, had kind of morphed into a different state. So I went from being literally, as a, as a very young child, on fire for Jesus to a lukewarm Christian. And what was the difference? The difference was that my heart was full of pride. That was the sin of the Laodicean church. I'm rich. I've increased with goods. I have needed nothing. I can make it happen. I'm a can-do person. I can do for myself. Thank you. And so I spent the next almost 15 years of my life having a zeal for God, but not knowing what was wrong. Something was wrong. There was this heart of pride that said, I can make anything happen. If I just put my will to it, I can, I can, I can make it happen. But yet, at the same time, I had a heart for Jesus too. Since the lukewarmness. So you mix the pride with a zeal for God. You mix the two together, hot and cold, then you're going to have a lukewarm spirit. That's what I had. So I tried everything that I could, not knowing that I had such pride in my heart. I mean, I preached. I was a missionary in the denomination I was a part of. I did everything I could conceivably do in my flesh. And I still, Lord, something's just totally wrong. And I was at the last year of college, my last semester. I mean, I was a go-go kind of person. I mean, mow grass, take names. I mean, even as a little child. And the Lord just took everything away from me that last semester of college. I had, I had five classes. Four were for grade. And for me, that was, that was nothing. And I, I didn't have... Uh, I had a little part-time job, but it was a handful of hours. 
So I had all this, this free time. So the gift that the Lord gave me at this point in my life was contemplation, was to look and see where is my life really at. And the Holy Spirit fell on me and said, you're lukewarm, Ed. And I was crushed. <clears throat> I was crushed. At the place where I would go to worship, we had a little prayer room, and you could sign up for that. I was there regularly praying, crying out to God. And the conviction grew more. And I said, Lord, Lord, I know this is my heart. And you said, be zealous and repent, but I don't know really what to repent of. It just broke my heart. And I made a few decisions at that point in my life. I said, I'm not going to chase the American dream. I gave up the American dream. I'm not going to pursue money. I gave up. I had a chance to go in the JAG. I called the recruiter and I said, Captain Biller, I said, I'm not going to go in the JAG. I said, I can't explain it to you, but I'm, I'm through with that. So finally it culminated after I'd been out of school for a couple of months and I had my first apartment living on my own. And I just, I was alone and I cried out to God and I said, Lord, Lord, I'm so sick of having this lukewarm heart. And I don't know, I can't change it. And you said that you wish that we were either hot or cold. I said, Lord, I know I'm not hot. I've tried to get hot, Lord. I was hot at one time, but I I don't know what's wrong. There's something wrong in my heart, but I don't know what it is. And I don't want to be cold to you. But I don't want to be vomited out of your mouth. That word in the King James, spit, I think in the NIV it says spit. I think in the King James it says spew. It literally means that God will vomit you out of his mouth. And I said, Jesus, if I, you're going to vomit me out of your mouth. I said, you know, I understand that. I said, I don't want to live in a Laodicean world anymore. I'm through with Laodicean church. So I walked away. I walked away. Now, this led me up to just, I'm in my early 20s at the time. I call this time really the Cold War. (laughs) The Cold War. So there's not a lot of things to say about that when you walk away from Jesus and you're cold. If you want to just recount my life, all you have to do is just read Ecclesiastes. I tried everything. I tried the knowledge of good and evil. Sometimes it was evil, sometimes it was good. I was a humanitarian, then I was a wicked person. But it was the same tree. I kept eating from that. And there's only a couple of things I want to talk about during this period of my life. One is once God puts his mark on you, you belong to him. Now, does that mean I can still choose hell? Absolutely. I can still choose hell. But once God puts his mark on you, 
you can't go back to a normal life. And even, even if you're in sin, even if you're in sin, there's still a partial hedge around your life where God will protect you from the devil. And I knew as a child, because the devil came at me with such fury and said he hated me and he was going to kill me and I had these horrible nightmares for a couple of years. And I knew, I knew he wanted to kill me. The devil wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And if you've made a decision that you're going to follow Jesus and you walk away, there's a partial hedge, but that's no guarantee that the devil's not going to take you out. So not knowing this in my ignorance, I'm walking on the edge. Literally, I'm walking on the edge. So I'm at a friend's house that I met. I was taking a class at a community college. She was separated from her husband. Her estranged husband shows up out of nowhere, drunk out of his mind, with a loaded pistol, which he then proceeded to put right to my temple, just right here. He said, I'm going to kill you. And then I heard, run. I don't know who said run. And I saw this look on his face, like, and I took off. And he just kind of stammered for just a minute, and then he came running after me, got in my car. And I realized that God had spared my life, that God had spared my life. So all I'm saying is that partial hedge that you have, God might choose to let it down even further. And so so it went on in my life, and I tried everything. I went from psychotherapy to philosophy to just foolishness, really, just packaged differently. Mostly the same kind of stuff. <clears throat> to where I went from there, and then I got involved uh, with the New Age in the spirit world. And finally, after 35 years, almost 36 years old, uh, I married a woman. Now, if you'd asked me about her, I would have said, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with her. But she was a witch. She was a, a master astrologist. Now, what I'm telling you is that that angered the Lord. That small hedge that was around me got much smaller. And I didn't really know why at the time, but I was ashamed of our getting married. We ran off to get married. I didn't invite my family. We ran off, and uh, I thought I was going to die on our honeymoon, literally. I didn't know what was wrong, but something was dreadfully wrong. And so, so her life, that she didn't have that hedge, and so Satan just rampaged both of us, destroyed her health, destroyed our finances, destroyed everything. So we didn't have much of a life together. 
and it was about six months before she died. I came home from work. I came home from work to find her in a pool of blood. She tried to clean it up because she thought I would just kind of freak out. So it was smeared everywhere, blood all over the bathroom. So I called 911. They knew me by name because of all of her medical problems. They knew me by name, so they came. She was in intensive care for almost three weeks, nearly died. When she came out of that, she came home. This was a few months before she died, and we sat down and talked, and her name was Sheila. We had a serious conversation, and she had been doing astrology since she was six years old. I think it was an aunt that taught her how to do charts. When we went out on our first date, she gave me a 20-page chart of my life, and she recounted details that I hadn't told anybody before about my life. So anyhow, at that point, we had this long conversation. We decided just to throw everything away. She had that. I did tarot cards. We threw it all away. And she began to cry out to the Lord. And I didn't really realize this at the time. But she began to cry out to the Lord. Some six months later, she was terribly sick, and I took her to the doctor. And they said she didn't need to be admitted And I was kind of a passive person. I'm, I'm not normally like in your face. That day, I was, at, I was in his face. I said, Doc, if you don't do something, she's going to die. There's, I don't know what's wrong. Something is wrong. You have to do something today. I was emphatic about that. And he blew me off just like he had blown her off. That night, she went into a coma. She lost consciousness first, then she came back. The following day, she went in a coma, actually, in the hospital. And she died two days later. So my heart was utterly broken. This was in 2001. I was, I was crushed. There was nothing I could do to save her because I had lowered I had angered the Lord, and the hedge was no longer around her. Now, in his great mercy, he saved me. I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that at all. But the Lord Lord spared my life. So I went through an incredible period of brokenness after her death. And that's where... Some months later, I met Song. Uh, And so Song helped her mother with a little valet service in this huge apartment building that I lived in. And she would always be there. She had this beautiful red Bible. And she'd be there reading her Bible. 
She'd be there reading, reading this Bible. And I just said, Lord. And I wondered in my heart, and I, I don't know where this even came from, but I, I thought, I wonder if she loves Jesus. <laughs> even though I'm still in, an, in darkness. I said, I wonder if she loves Jesus. And so she would brighten my day, and some months later, she started asking me if I would go to church with her. And uh, I resisted. I just, I said, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just barely alive at this point. I mean, I was, I, I was a total emotional basket case. And she, I don't know how many times that she asked me, yeah, do you want to go to church with me? And I think the fact that it was a Korean church made that a little bit better for me. I, I think if it was just a regular American church, I said, you know, I, I'm not going back to an old Laodicean church. So she, she finally got emphatic with me, and the song's not like this that much, but she said, this is the last time I'm going to ask you. Will you go or will you not go? <laughs> I remember that. And I said, all right, I'll go. I'll go. And so the Lord began to deal with my heart and her heart. And we began to see each other and we began to go to this church and for those of you who don't know much about the Korean church, there was a, a, an awesome revival. I think it was uh, 1908 or 1907. I can't remember which year it was. But almost every Korean church has early morning prayer together as a body. And depending upon the church, it's either at 5 o'clock or 5.30, something like that, every morning. And so... I would go from where I live, which is around Bailey's Crossroad, to Springfield. I'd go to early morning, sir. I'd meet her there. Uh, I'd pray, and she'd go to work, and I'd go to work. And we did that. And there were always so many different things going on in the church. There was a little back building behind the church. And Song and I would meet a couple of nights a week, and we would just literally pray together and cry out to the Lord. And so the Lord began to deal with, with my heart. And I won't go through the whole journey of that, but I'll just mention one of the big things that happened. Because of the circumstances surrounding my, my first wife's death, I decided to get an attorney. Uh, and I found an attorney who was also an MD uh, to subpoena... Uh, my wife's medical records because I would like I said I was in this doctor's face and I'm not an in your face person but I was in his face about doing something and, and he refused and then she died of something called sepsis which is unusual for someone of her age to die of but anyhow uh, so this doctor or this doctor lawyer uh, gentleman subpoenaed her records and then he called me when he got them and I went to Rockville met this man and he showed me what the doctor said and the doctor said that she left against medical advice 
So he had altered the records after she died. And it just absolutely broke my heart. And so I, I told Song that, what had happened. And the Holy Spirit said, you have to forgive this doctor. You have to forgive him. So I had to make an appointment to go back to this doctor. It was such a painful thing. And the Lord said, forgive this man. Forgive this man. I honestly didn't want to do it. It was, uh, it was painful. But Jesus brought me through that. He brought me through that. And he began to really move in my heart, in my life, and began to change me, who I was. So I was slowly becoming what God wanted me to become really all my life. And I remember shortly before I came here, I had uh, uh, I hooked up with this place called Sermon Index. I don't know if you ever listen to online sermons, but there's a, a wonderful site called Sermon Index. And I just wasn't really getting fed at the church that I was in. And so I remember David Wilkerson from my days in college. So I listened to many of his sermons along with Leonard Ravenhill and others and eventually became a moderator on the site there. And uh, so uh, Pastor David was in Birmingham, Alabama. This was 2004 for a pastor's conference. And since I was uh, an elder in this Korean church, we signed up, Song and I signed up to go. And, and the Lord let us go to that. And we spent that weekend with, with Gary and Pastor David and Pastor Neil, Neil Rhodes, if you know him from, he's actually in Gary's church now, I believe. Uh, but these dear brothers, we spent the whole weekend together the Lord knit our hearts together in this huge place in Birmingham. And that was right around the time I started coming here. Uh, and so I think Pastor David came to D.C. shortly after that because uh, I remember going down there for that. And I know many of you, I know Pastor Ray was down there, and I spent some time talking to Gary there. and uh, It was a wonderful time. It was a wonderful time. So the Lord, as I came here, the Lord uh, was dealing with my heart. So one of the things that I always knew, that when I obeyed Jesus then, I always had joy. I had joy. God gave me great joy. Now, some of you don't know what I'm talking about because you've never really given fully everything into Jesus' hands. You've never really just given him your whole life. But I'm telling you, when you give everything into his hand, there's joy. Amen. There's joy. Now, it's in the midst of crushing. It's in the midst of trials and difficult circumstances. It's not the absence of all those things. But you have the joy of the Lord in the midst of all those things. And so the Lord brought me through. And then 
whatever the Lord asked me to do, you know, I'd pray and then the Lord would direct my steps and all. But it finally got to the point, and Catherine has spoken many times about it, uh, this bitter root, this part of our heart that wants to main control, maintain control of our life. So the Lord would ask me to do things that would cut against that. And so I would find in my heart the Lord asked me to do something and I didn't have any joy. And I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't, it just disturbed me. It disturbed me that I obeyed Jesus and I didn't have any joy. I said, something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with that. And so I would go from like one thing to the next and then I never had this release in my spirit. And finally, finally, I just said, Lord, I said, this something's wrong. I don't know what it is. There's something in me that I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but there's something in me that has to go. And finally, it got to the point where I was just so angry because I didn't have any joy. If I obeyed Jesus, then why didn't I have, why didn't I have any, why was there no release in my spirit? It got to the point in my prayer closet at home, I I was just literally just screaming at God when I would leave. I did what you asked me to do, and yet look at my heart. I'm angry. I said, there's something wrong with me. There was something wrong with me. This whole pride, this whole issue of pride, I'd never honestly dealt with before God. I'd kind of masked it under uh, all this zeal that God's given me, you know. There's no sin in zeal, but there's, there's really sin in pride. And so I would obey, Lord, through the prism. And Catherine mentioned it today, so it's amazing. Against this prism of my own understanding. And so as long as it matched, then I was okay. If it didn't match... If it, if it didn't match, then I would be upset. And I'll give you an example or two. We had someone come and do some work at the house. Um, he overcharged like almost 80%, and he said he was a Christian. I knew what the going rate was for what he did. And I just got angry in my spirit. I said, Lord, just let me at him. Just, just let me give this man a piece of mind mind, you know, how dare he do that uh, under the guise of being a Christian. And the Lord said, you leave room for my wrath. That was the word. So I finally came into agreement with that, but there was no release because I, I, all I did was just the straight obedience. So obeying Jesus is not enough. There has to be there has to be a crucifixion. There has to be a place where my life is over. Amen. Where my life is over. Amen. And so if you go back to look at that Revelation chapter, it talks about having gold tried in the fire. You all have read that before, right? So when the gold is tried in the fire, you know, the impurities float to the top. And then in the midst of that fire, that's where you can see that pride because it's whitewashed. And so I had a whitewashed heart. And so finally, I just got fed up. And 
and I left. This was 2009. 2009. So many of you reached out to me after I left. I know Pastor did. I know Michelle did. I know Michelle did. I know many of you reached out to me. And I was ashamed to talk to you because I said, Lord, this is just utterly unclean. If there's something utterly unclean in my heart, how can, how can you ask me to do something and then me have this, this anger in my spirit? I said, this just makes me sick. It makes me sick. So finally one day, I said, Lord, I know you know all things, and I know there's a record being made in my life, and I have to give an account. I had to give an account before Jesus of my life. So I went to my prayer closet and I sat down and I said, Lord, you've been faithful to me. This is for the record. This is not my heart. Just you analyzing my heart. I'm going to just say it like a YouTube video. I'm going to make a YouTube video in the spirit. Lord, you've been faithful to me. But Lord, there's something wrong in my heart. I don't know what it is, though. I honestly don't know what it is. I just know that I can't serve you with a clear conscience when there's something unclean in my spirit. What kind of testimony is that to your power? I will not defame your name. That's why I didn't call you. I was ashamed to talk about it. I was really ashamed to talk about that. So all these years since I've been gone, given how analytical my mind is, I, I just kind of replay things. So this is what the Lord asked. This is what happened. This is, you know. So I, it was just like a, I don't know if you've ever played a video where it's just on a loop. It just keeps playing. That's how it was in my heart. I kept going through these things one by one. And I said, Lord, there's something I've missed. There's absolutely something that I've missed in my heart. I don't even know what it is. So things got really bad for me. I, I was discouraged. I, I was beat up. I was worn down. I had gone back to some old idols. I was utterly miserable. I know Richard reached out to me more than a few times, and I said, Richard, I said, Make sure you give everything to Jesus. I said, I said, make sure that you give everything to Jesus. You can ask him what I said. I said, I'm not walking it, brother, but it's no cakewalk out here. It's no cakewalk. You can't go back. There's nothing to go back to. It's just a misery, pain. So... I've listened to most of the sermons, even though I, I wasn't here. I just kept reanalyzing, analyzing, analyzing. I said, I don't, I don't understand, Lord. I don't understand at all. So finally, I reached a, a crisis point. My health was beginning to fail. This was a, just a few months ago. And I, I drove back to my parents' house through the mountains and in those last few months it seemed like every time I didn't read the paper that often but every time I re- read the paper there were all these just 
bizarre things happening to people. Uh, there was a guy who was on a exercise uh, walking machine in his basement, and somehow it killed him. Something malfunctioned, and it killed him. Somebody's walking down the street, and then, you know, they get shot. A drive-by, just... So I was afraid for my life. I was afraid for my life. And so I began to just go to Genesis three fifteen, you know, that the Lord would just produce enmity in my heart. And I said, Lord, do what you have to do, but don't let the devil win. I said, don't let the devil win. That's all I could do for months. Literally. So anyhow, I'm going to my parents. This was in May. And I texted pastor. I said, is there a way that I could repent? I don't know what my life would look like. But I can't. I can't survive this. This life anymore. I, I don't want this life anymore. I said, if you'll take me back, Jesus, I said, I won't withhold anything from you. I'll tell you those painful things in my heart that I've been hiding. That he already knew, of course. He's an all-knowing God. But there's something about when we just break down and tell Jesus everything. There's something about that. And I began to repent and cry out. It was just like the Lord just moved in just incredibly, just with such power. And it took maybe about three weeks, I think, three weeks to pray through the sin of six years. And I found myself right back at the same place that I was when I left. I said, Lord, this looks familiar. But I'm not going to quit this time, Lord. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. So I was crying out, and I said, Lord, there's something that you want that I haven't given you, and I don't know what it is. And he said, give that to me. (laughs) I didn't even know what that was. I thought it was my zeal. I said, oh, you want my zeal. So, and I said, Lord, I said, Lord, that's all I have. That's all I have. Give it to me. It was not that loud, but it was a firm, it was, I'm just, not that loud. It was a soft voice, but it was a firm voice. Give that to me, Ed. And finally, I relented. I thought I was going to die. I did die. I did die. And then all of a sudden, it was like, I know pastors read it many times, and I think he read it last week, where Finney had this such peace with God. I thought, where's the conviction? What's wrong with me? Jesus said, where are you, you know? For three days, I slept like a baby. 
And the Lord showed me that it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't this zeal that the Lord's given me. It was my pride that He had taken. It was the pride. Was where I wanted to be in charge. And I mean, I've analyzed many of the people who came here and left and looked at the similarities, and I know the Lord has to bring us to a place where we're crucified with Him. So if you look at Matthew 7, and I'm not going to read the scripture, but the end of Matthew 7, there's There's two groups of Christians. There's those who wanted to go do things for God, but they were not crucified with Christ. They did all these wonderful things for Jesus, but they had not been crucified. They didn't give up control of their life. They didn't utterly die out, as Pastor would say, or Michelle, or David. So I'm here to tell you, that you can be crucified with Christ, that you can give him everything. Now, I'm still a baby. I've got to grow up. I've got to mature. I'm not a finished work by any stretch. But I'm just saying the Lord is absolutely faithful. And once I gave him that, as I've obeyed him, whatever it was, I've had the joy of the Lord. There's a joy in following Jesus. But it only comes as we fully give everything into his hand. I mean, my grandmother literally beat Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to me. I think she read it to me every time she saw me because she knew what a strong-willed little boy that I was. But that was the word of the Lord this morning. Thank you. I said that was the word of the Lord uh, And the Lord spoke that to me time and time again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So I know that Jesus is moving in power in this fellowship. I know he wants to move in your heart wherever you're at. I would encourage you, if you've not given everything to Jesus, to try him. It's just to give everything to his hand. The Holy Spirit is the one who will tell you what to do. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to search your own heart for sin. You have to have an open heart to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to you. And you have to spend the time. So I would encourage you to go back and spend some time and just ask the Lord to show you your history laid out. And I can tell you over a 50-year period, the Lord's been absolutely faithful with me. Now, I have not been. I have not been. But the Lord has been. He loves you. He loves you. Thank you. Stay right here. It is highlighted for us today, this issue.